the Ortho PAC, hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC, where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Today's guest is Miguel Serrato. Miguel is a PA working in San Diego at the Scripps Clinic for the last year and a half, more or less. Miguel was a winner of our Susan Lindell Memorial Scholarship, and I had a chance to catch up with Miguel at our annual meeting a couple of weeks ago, and I wanted to bring him on the podcast to discuss some concerns. Lots of things that I haven't thought about in my, you know, just getting older, stick in the mud, I guess, but I haven't thought about some of the challenges our younger colleagues face. So, Miguel, welcome. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. It was a great conference. I appreciate the work you guys put in and it was really, really enjoyable. And especially given our new rise in you know COVID cases and stuff like that, it was nice to get out and see everyone and just be able to have in-person conferences instead of having to go through Zoom and stuff like that. So I, at least for me, it was, it was really nice to have a change of pace. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I've been missing the conferences for a while, so I, I really enjoy the networking and learning and everything that goes with it. We had a PA primer, and for those that don't know about it, it's basically where we have folks that are new to the profession, you know, new graduates, people in their first year or two, and we have a panel of a variety of people discussing their experience and that sort of thing. And I guess, again, I've gotten old and it's off my radar screen. I don't think about it as much. I should because I'm involved with the organization. We have students, but out of PA school now, you carry a ton of debt. I don't know how many people are in there, 25, 30. And I said, how many people have over 100,000 in debt? Everybody raised their hand. I'm like, how many have over 150? It was, you know, 90% of the people. And that's a tremendous burden right out of school. So I don't really want to know or discuss specific details from you, financial stuff. But I mean, I... Part of what we had talked about was that you had a similar experience and you were telling me about how you were managing all that. So I was hoping you could share some experiences without specific details about how things are going and and what people should think about when they're doing this. It's definitely been interesting having to manage that. You know, uh, I am one of those people that definitely had graduated with a, a fair amount of debt. Most PA programs across the country are at least $100,000. A lot of, if not all of most PA new grads will definitely have that kind of debt, you know, kind of moving forward. My personal experience, I have obviously don't like carrying debt and, you know, it definitely inhibits me from the other things that we pursue. You know, you get this great job and you're finally making money after spending all this time in undergrad and then you also graduate school and, you know, not having those things and now you have this income. And, you know, the next thing is, you know, you always want to buy a house and uh, a new car because the car that you have is just not working right or or uh, in its last leg or, you know, potentially also you want to purchase a home or you want to have your own space. I definitely have had to kind of put those things on hold just because of the amount of debt that I've been carrying. A couple of things that I have done so far is I have a place, but I also have a roommate, you know, where I can, you know, just kind of keep my cost of living down instead of, you know, a lot of my money going toward rent. I'm sucking it up, I guess, in a way and, you know, finding ways to to save some money by 
you know, obviously if I have my own place, I, I uh, renting will pay a larger amount. But if I share that cost with a roommate, then, you know, I can use the monies that I'm saving towards making payments to that loans that I have. I held off on buying a new car, you know, by, you know, having the car and fixing the small little things that I have doesn't take away from a payment. I'm able to pay more money towards that. The other, you know, big thing that I think I've taken advantage of presently is with COVID and the cases going on, a lot of our loans basically got put on deferment. So what I've been able to do is the money that I normally would be paying on my loan on a, on a monthly basis, I've just kind of been setting that money aside to continue to save and save and save and then make larger payments on my loans. Now that uh, essentially the interest rates have you know kind of been put on hold. But prior to that, you know, I really spent my time going to studentaid.gov which is a government website, which basically outlines different payment plans that, you know, are available to anyone who takes out loans federally. There's uh, two ways to go about it. What I basically did is I, I basically analyzed all the different options that are available to me in terms of something called a replay plan. There's an income-driven payment plan, amongst other ones, and it basically outlines how much you would be making in terms of your payment. And, you know, you have to obviously submit your tax returns every year and it basically changes. But, you know, some of these payment plans will only uh, account for, you know, 10 percent of your of your overall salary that gets dedicated to these loans. If you continue to make these payments over time, over the course of the next 10, um, 15 or 20 years, depending on your employment status, who is your employer, nonprofit versus for profit, all of these things, you can kind of dictate on, you know, how much potentially down the road, 10 years, if you make these payments, you're, you know, the rest can be forgiven. I also, you know, sought some advice from potentially refinancing with these private companies that offer loan repayments. And, you know, the other thing I found out, you know, in terms of, you know, kind of educating myself was whether or not it was worth taking those loans out to help repay. The benefit of taking those loans out with refinancing is that I want to say the current rate for loans right now are about 7% or 7.5%. And if you refinance with one of these other companies, you can get an APR of 3%, 2.3%. You know, they all vary. The flip side to that, as well as that, you know, when COVID hit and a lot of these colleagues of mine who did refinance had to make payments when they were federally funded like they are now, there was a, a pause on those payments. So there's always this kind of risk benefit ratio. If I did refinance, I would probably still be making those payments now. I wish I had a magic financial crystal ball where I could go to it and tell me what's going on in the markets or whatever. But if you could roll back time, you know, and go back to the start, do you think it's worthwhile to have time with a financial advisor or something? Or do you think it's just, it is what it is. You got a few choices. And if you want to go, you got to accept it and, and move forward. I mean, what do you think about that? Financial advisors can definitely play a role in just providing education. Every person that goes as a student has different financial obligations. And I had some colleagues who knew how expensive PA school was going to work. So they spent years upon years, you know, saving money 
and were able to not take as much money out. I was still paying on my you know, undergraduate loans as well. And so I wasn't able to plan for that, but it definitely helps, you know, kind of educating, you know, I wish I did have the education that I have now in terms of, you know, the financial planning and even with, you know, the salaries and the, and the, the money that we make now and being able to really have some guidance in terms of is it best to, you know, set aside some money in my 401k plan while I'm still making payments on my loans? Should I continue to just try to get rid of my debt as soon as possible? So every little thing, every extra dollar that I have, should that go to that? Or, you know, should I be diversifying my funds into the market and playing the long game and trying to plan for a better financial future? There's all of these, you know, different ways that the money can go. And it it definitely... I think definitely would have helped to have someone provide some guidance you know, in terms of saying, you know, this this route could be the best or diversifying your portfolio or if you're going to go into this amount of debt, is it best to consolidate the loans? What about private loans with different companies? Is it worth, you know, going down that route? I think every person has their individual story. And definitely at least having that education would have come in handy. Going back to the PA panel, the PA primer that we were talking about, there was a person that stood up and related to us. She was in her first year. She was trying to fix her schedule that she was trying to see, you know, 30 patients a day and behind on her dictations, taking work home and doing six, seven days a week. And you got to pay your loans. You got to make some money. You got to do these things, but you also don't want to get in a grinder, you know, where they're just like a meat grinder and they just beat you up. I think that's one reason why there's such a high turnover rate in the PA profession. One that we can do it, but usually it's in the first two to three years because you get in a situation like that and it's really tough, but you know, you got to take what you can get. So I think keep that in mind, all of our young students and folks that are new grads, keep it in mind. I mean, once you get done, the the payment comes due and you got to figure out how to do it ahead of time. So Miguel, any other thoughts on your first year in practice, student debt, anything you'd like to share with our listeners? No, it's definitely, you know, you're not alone. Definitely finding other colleagues to kind of inquire, you know, how they're doing or how they manage. I think we have a tendency to always want to figure it out on our own or have that, you know, I I can do it or grind through work and and patience. And, you know, I, I definitely, if you have the ability to reach out to other colleagues or, you know, talk to them about, you know, it doesn't need to be the the nitty gritty details, but definitely finding out how they manage their tips and tricks, really poking the brain of those who've been there a couple of years who have figured out the, I guess, in a way, the system to, you know, better benefit, you know, themselves and how they take care of themselves, you know, one, their quality of life, two, how they're managing financially and how they're doing, and three, how they're managing work, how they're finding different relations with their physicians or, you know, other co-workers and stuff like that. I think the worst thing that we you can do is, you know, stay silent, but really discussing that with a co-worker on the side where, you know, you just have these these questions that you can reach out to um, definitely makes a big difference. I know it's it's made a big difference for me, and I you know I definitely um, have picked the brain of, of many of my colleagues who've been here you know a few a few years, and they've given me a lot of tips and tricks you know in terms of you know documenting exam skills you know even how to 
better order stuff on on the EHR systems and you know how to get things approved with MRIs and doing these peer-to-peers you know because those things definitely get difficult um, you know and in if you don't ask you won't know and it, it definitely gets a lot harder if you're just trying to figure out by yourself so you know I think communication is key and I, I know that sounds cheesy but it definitely makes a big difference it does not sound cheesy I mean you hit the nail on the head really have to have network you have to have connections i mean and that's part of what paos is all about you know networks national networking and i've got friends in all the states uh that i stay in touch with so you know it's really important to know how things are going in other places and you know just a peg for paos and our practice and salary survey report that's coming out in the fall and we'll send that out to members to fill in and it helps folks like miguel and our new grads and our new colleagues uh we want to do the best we can Miguel, I appreciate your time. I know you had a busy day and a uh, uh, you know, work day, and I think you're coming on for uh, a little bit and telling us about your life and your experience. Oh, no, thanks for having me on. I, you know, I, again, I appreciate you, you know, inviting me on and, you know, helping share my experience and, you know, hopefully it can help others in, you know, similar situations. Awesome. Thank you for joining the OrthoPAC podcast. Hello, podcast listeners. This is Sam Dyer, your OrthoPAC host. I wanted to let you know about our latest CME event, November the 13th and 14th, uh, Saturday and Sunday in Charlotte. That's this fall. We're calling it the PAOS Orthopedic Bootcamp. This is intended for those new to orthopedics, or if you want to brush up on your orthopedic assessment and clinical knowledge, this course is for you. So a variety of topics, basic musculoskeletal radiographic interpretation, what is an urgent versus an emergent orthopedic case, fracture and dislocation principles, coding and compliance, an exam of everything orthopedic, spine and the extremities, And then to top it off, we're going to teach you how to give injections in the knee and the shoulder. Please register online at www.paos.org slash CME. Again, it's Saturday and Sunday, November the 13th and 14th, a day and a half, 12 hours of CME. So I hope we see you there.